What is the purpose of Remote ID? 2018 holiday season when the Gatwick drone incident happened, uh, bad actors deliberately flew drones to interrupt uh, crewed aircraft, passenger aircraft flights, cost millions of dollars. They were not able to solve the problem over several days. Something like remote ID, which was broadcasting where that operator was, could have solved the problem. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Your Drone Questions Answered. I'm John Dicko here to answer any of your drone questions. Today we're answering the question, when does remote ID become mandatory and could it damage the drone business or hobby? Today I have with me Miriam McNabb. She's the editor at dronelife.com. Miriam, thank you for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can you just tell me a little bit of what remote ID is, particularly what is the purpose of remote ID? So remote ID is the idea that um, stakeholders will be able to see not only sort of where a drone is in the sky, but also connect that drone with the operator. So um, when you look at sort of what the FAA actually wrote uh, in the rulemaking for remote ID, they said it was for sort of law enforcement and other stakeholders. You know, if you look back at the the very few bad incidents that have happened in the drone industry, like 2018 holiday season when the Gatwick drone in- incident happened, uh, bad actors deliberately flew drones to interrupt Uh, crewed aircraft, passenger aircraft flights, cost millions of dollars. They were not able to solve the problem over several days. Something like remote ID, which was broadcasting where that operator was, could have solved the problem. And so so the idea is like the license plate on your car, it's often um, compared to that. It's not an exact uh, comparison, but it's often compared to the license plate on your car. If you get in a hit and run, somebody sees your car, says, oh, that was Illinois plates um, with this number. It was a green car. And law enforcement can look on a database and see who was responsible for operating that car, or at least who the record says was responsible for operating that car. Okay. So important for a couple of reasons. Primarily safety seems like a pretty big deal. Right. And I know it's not so simple of when it takes effect because technically it's in effect, but it's, can you explain a little bit about what that means for people who, you know, anywhere from manufacturers to just the individuals who want to fly drones? When the rulemaking was published, there were three dates um, referenced. The first was the date that the rulemaking became active, X number of days after it was published in the Federal Register. The second date uh, you know, tagged off that first one. People had a set amount of time for manufacturers to be compliant with the rule. And what that meant was that any manufacturers developing new drones uh, designed to be flown in the United States had to be compliant with the remote ID rule. And the third date is when drone operators have to be responsible for ensuring that their aircraft comply with a remote ID. So the the manufacturer's date was September 16th, 2022. That was shifted slightly to um, 
December before the the uh, FAA went into compliance mode on that. But um, operators will have to be compliant next September 16th, September 16th, 2023. Okay. So if you have a legacy aircraft at that point, you'll want to start checking, you know, you need to start checking with your manufacturer for, for the vast majority, you know, uh, common drones, DJI's most you know, common models, Skydio's models, uh, anything built on the Arterian open source platform. There are there are different means of compliance. For most of them, it should be sort of a firmware update. So no big deal. This is in effect now. Let's say we're at that date, uh, September 23rd. Um, could it damage the drone business or hobby? So those are really two very distinct questions, and I'm going to take them uh, one by one. So first, let's talk about the drone hobby. And, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity as a journalist to speak with um, people at the AMA uh, and other kind of stakeholders in the recreational community. And the recreational community is really kind of close to my heart because, honestly, Uh, they sort of launched the commercial drone industry, you know, they got us started. And for the recreational um, community, remote ID definitely uh, presents some challenges. A lot of recreational flyers um, are really creative. You know, they, they build their own aircraft, they trade parts, they, they develop new things. Um, And so for them, it's not really the case of sort of purchasing a traditional aircraft uh, that just checks the box. Yes, this is compliant. So the way that the FAA dealt with this um, was to say that you can fly in a designated recreational area. So that means... um, if you have to belong to a CBO, which is a community-based organization that flies under the FAA's safety rules, that's an organization like the AMA, and then you fly at a designated area like an AMA flying field. So um, definitely presents some challenges for the recreational community. Uh, On the business side, on the commercial drone business side, most of the feedback from commercial drone stakeholders about remote ID, while there was definitely some pushback on the exact way that it was worded, the technologies that it adopted and did not adopt, um, and the the sort of details of implementation, for the most part, commercial drone stakeholders like the Commercial Drone Alliance, uh, AUVSI, larger companies, delivery companies like Wing was, agreed that remote ID was necessary. And the reason for that is really that remote ID is sort of a foundational piece of UTM, which is a uncrewed traffic management and it's drone integration. It's the idea that you're going to be able to smoothly integrate the operation of commercial drones and crewed aircraft in the same airspace. That at some point, the stakeholders, air traffic controllers, whoever is going to be able to look at their screen and say, yep, there's a helicopter and there's a commercial drone and they both belong here and they're operating safely together. And that is really critical for advanced drone operations at 
scale. So right now, you know, everything is pretty much I mean, the drone commercial drone industry has a phenomenal safety record. I'm, I will stand behind that really the, um, the terrible incidents of legally flying commercial drones are very, 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 very small. So, um, but if you say, you know, you know how many times an Amazon delivery truck goes by, by your door, if mm. half that many times there was a commercial delivery drone in the air, that's a lot of drones. And if you say advanced operations are flight beyond visual line of sight, so BVLOS flight, um, and that can mean anything from it's flying right in front of you, but on the other side of your building to I'm in California operating 12 drones on every mall, you know, shopping mall parking lot that I own in Massachusetts, you know, and that kind of remote operations of more automated operations of operations totally beyond visual line of sight really requires some foundational um, technology behind it to ensure that that airspace is is safe. And remote ID is one step towards UTM. UTM is not one thing. It's not a piece of software. It's a set of you know, regulations and technologies and service providers all working together, but remote ID is one critical piece. Mm -hmm. And you know, it all sounds like from a business perspective, it's actually a, a true effort into making business run smoother. It is. And, you know, when you think about it right now, you can say, oh, no drones around power stations, right? Because we're afraid that some bad actor will damage a power station. But there are a lot of good reasons for having a drone in a power station, right? They can do maintenance, they can do inspection, they can do these things. So the important aspect is, can you tell which drone belongs there and which drone doesn't belong there? Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Going back to the hobbyist, I mean, it almost sounded like almost sort of like the opposite news when it comes to positive and negative. Like some hobbyists may see this as a setback. Um, let's just pretend that you know, uh, one of our, our listeners is somebody who recently bought a drone, uh, was just looking forward to playing around with it in a park nearby. Uh, is this going to be a problem for them now? No. So a person who just went out and purchased a new drone, they got the latest DJI, you know, they're a content creator, they want to learn to fly for fun. Uh, absolutely not. It's, it's not a problem for them. You know, they need to do everything that recreational flyers need to do. They need to take the trust test. They need to register their drone if it's appropriate. They should start, you know, FAA.com. <laughs> gov and click on the drone slide and it tells you exactly what to do quick and easy um, and those drones are probably going to be already compliant and it's not going to be a big deal where it really is problematic for the recreational community is uh, for those flyers who built their own drones flew legacy drones um, flew sort of non it's, it's hard to say non-traditional when you're talking about drones. They're so new anyway. But there are there's a breadth of different aircraft um, that are being flown and created and developed uh, in that recreational community. And not all of those are going to be necessarily easy to make compliant. Um, so it does limit where those people can fly. 
Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense and it eases the pain for anybody who's maybe looking forward to buying a drone soon and having fun with it. So Yes, absolutely. If you were just planning on, on going and purchasing the newest one, this shouldn't cause you a problem. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're about out of time, but I just wanted to give you another opportunity here to mention anything else that you think might have been missed in this conversation. I think that remote ID, there's a lot of um, discussion about privacy, about, you know, is it reasonable for somebody to know where I'm flying uh, all the time? And I think that there's a trade-off there is if you are a commercial drone operator, you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice that level of anonymity in order to scale your business operations. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And thank you for that. And thank you for joining me today. Now, remember to our audience, you can submit your own drone questions at any time. You can just submit them at ydqa.io. We'll do our best to get them answered for you. In the meantime, we'll see you in the sky.